middle school. Oh, there we go. Uh, my name is Jack. I'm the middle school pastor here at Brookside. Go Tribe. Um, and uh, yeah, just want to say welcome, especially like John said, if you're a guest here today, um, glad you're here. Really hope you enjoyed your morning with us. Um, and as John mentioned too, if you're new or you haven't been around, um, you might not know that we've been doing this thing where we're going through the Bible in a year called 365. And so every Sunday we're covering a different topic that was touched on um, from our reading in the 365. And so we just wrapped up about two months, a little over two months, in the prophets. And so those of you who have been tracking along know that that made for nice, light summer reading, right? Um, but uh, so now we're into Proverbs, we're into the wisdom literature, and that's what we're going to be doing the next few weeks is, is talking about um, the wisdom books in the Bible. And so if you thought the prophets were challenging, uh, Proverbs might feel like a breath of fresh air because it's very practical wisdom for everyday life. And it's amazing when you really think about all the topics. I mean, there are a ton of topics that it hits on. It talks about grief and anxiety and bitterness, all kinds of things that have to do with the different relationships in our lives and uh, work and politics. It really touches on a lot of things. And here's really why the book of Proverbs matters. It's because, in a way, our lives are a series of decisions. It's a series of choices that we make. And every week we face hundreds, thousands of choices. And some of those are kind of automatic. Some of those might be somewhat insignificant. But many of those are significant. Many of those have a lasting impact on our lives, who we're becoming, how we live, what direction we're heading down in our lives. And so that's why the book of Proverbs exists. That's why God gives us the book of Proverbs. Um, so last time I was up here preaching, I was talking about my son, Liam, who was just about to be born. And so I thought it's only natural to start with him today um, because he's awesome. I know, yeah. Um, but so here's the thing. Uh, Liam, his world is pretty simple. He doesn't have a lot of decisions to make. And my wife and I, we make most of his decisions for him. And his, basically, his decision-making process comes down to expressing one of two things. There's either happy or there's sad. That's pretty much it for him at this point in life. And so as I was thinking about this, um, this message today and preparing this week, uh, I couldn't help but think about this video that my wife took just last week. So So yeah, I thought that was a great snapshot of his uh, indecisiveness, which I'm sure he gets from me. But, uh, but so really, the reason I bring him up is because, you know, when we think of babies, you know, for Liam, it's kind of like a blank slate, right? And eventually he'll start to grow and he'll have decisions he needs to make and those decisions will become more and more complex. Um, and so he'll have to make some complicated decisions. But so as he goes through life, his decisions will shape who he's becoming. And I heard one pastor illustrate it this way. It's, you could think about our life as a canvas. And so each decision we make is a brushstroke on that canvas. And so through the course of our lives, we're creating this picture of, of what our life adds up to, to really who we become. And so for all of us, the idea is that we're painting this picture. And so whether your picture is looking pretty good right now, 
maybe your picture has some rough areas, which most of ours do. Uh, but the point is this, that starting today, from this point on, we have control over what we want to do with those brush strokes. We get to make decisions that determine the path that we're heading down, that determine the kind of person that we're becoming. But the challenge with decisions and choices that we face is they're not always black and white. Some decisions can be, you know, a matter of the right information or the right principles, but a lot of decisions, plenty of them, come down to things that it goes beyond just the right facts. It goes beyond the, the standard rules that you might apply. It's, you know, when you face questions like, where should I go to college? Um, should I take that new job? Is it time to move? It can be, how do I deal with this problem with my roommate or my coworker or my friend? How do I navigate this situation? It could be something as, as maybe big and vague as I'm struggling in life, I'm not happy right now, and I honestly don't really know what to do about it. Or it can be something as seemingly small as how do I spend my free time on a regular basis? All of those are decisions that aren't just black and white. The timing, the circumstances, all kinds of context have an impact on how we make those decisions and what the wise thing to do is. And so it makes them more difficult. And so here's a question that I want to start with today. How do you make your decisions? What's your starting point? Where do you start when you're going to make a decision, whether it's big or small? You know, the easy question for most of us to answer is where we need wisdom in life. That's not always, but usually obvious. But the harder question, the more significant one, is where am I going to get that wisdom from? What or who am I going to look to as I face these decisions, big or small? And we all know our culture is flooded with thoughts and ideas and opinions and books and articles and all kinds of things, but none of those necessarily guarantees wisdom. And that's what makes Proverbs unique, is that Proverbs is God's wisdom given to us. It's godly wisdom for our lives, to face everyday life and to face it well. And so I want to jump into our driving verse for this morning, and this is uh, Proverbs 1-7. It's really the, the theme of the entire book of Proverbs. You could say it's the compass for the book of Proverbs. And it's actually repeated and rephrased throughout Proverbs. It's stated elsewhere in scripture in different ways. And maybe you've heard this before, but it simply says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So again, maybe you've heard that before. In short, you could say, it's basically saying this, true wisdom, true understanding about how the world works and what to do in any given situation, that only comes from God. And to disregard that fact is to be foolish. That's what this verse is saying. And so the main idea that I want us to focus on this morning, that I hope we all remember as we walk away today, is this, that wisdom and life requires surrender to the author of life. If we want wisdom, it takes us surrendering and submitting lovingly to God, the author of life. God is the source of our wisdom. He's not just a source of wisdom. He is the source. He's where wisdom comes from in the first place. And so we should always look to him as our foundation, as our starting point. And this morning, what we're going to see and what I hope it does for you is that the key to true wisdom, the key to true wisdom 
comes down to our perspective, to having the right perspective about our life, about where God's place is in it. And so I want to start by understanding what wisdom is, but really why we need it. Because if we don't see our need for wisdom, then none of this matters, right? Like the book of Proverbs is meaningless to us if we don't think we need wisdom. And obviously no one wakes up and says, you know, I think I want to make some bad choices today. Like I could use some more horrible decisions in my life, right? Anyone say that? Um, But the reality is that the difference between wise and foolish choices aren't always as obvious as we would like them to be. No one intentionally makes foolish decisions. And if there's anything that I learned uh, from my study this week as I prepped for this morning, it's that I seriously underestimate how much wisdom I need in my life. That's one thing that I think God taught me this week. And so when you look at Proverbs, you get this picture of wisdom. Wisdom, it's more than just good advice. It's more than just being smart. You could be a Jeopardy champion, but still not have an ounce of wisdom. Wisdom, it's, it's not just having the right facts. It's putting those facts, putting that knowledge into action and being able to discern different situations. Wisdom, it's more than just a quality. It's, it's more like a skill, a skill that God can teach us in and lead us in and grow us in. But it's something that we can't just get really quick when we have a big decision to make. It's something that comes slowly over time, something that God builds into us. And Proverbs 8, it talks about wisdom this way. It says, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. And so it's saying wisdom is more valuable than all the money in the world. All the money you could get your hands on, wisdom is more valuable than that. So it's worth asking, do you desire wisdom more than you desire money? I think that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. And then it says that nothing you can desire can compare with her, with wisdom. And so think about that. Anything you can come up with, all the power, all the success, all the intelligence, put all that together, that doesn't compare with wisdom because wisdom is for daily decisions in life. And those things, having the facts, having the power, that doesn't necessarily give you wisdom. And then verse 12, it says this, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. And I heard this great thing from Tim Keller. He's a pastor out in New York. And he kind of dissects this verse and talks about the Hebrew words that are used here and the meaning behind them. And and this is his summary of what he says this verse is saying. Wisdom is knowing how things really work, how things really are, and then knowing what to do about it. That sounds simple, but at the same time, it sounds like amazing, right? If I could just know how things really work, what was really happening in this situation, in this relationship, what was going on, and then know what to do about it, that's what wisdom is. And so true wisdom is to be able to step into any circumstance, to step into any situation, and to know what to do. And that's why we need wisdom. That's why wisdom matters, because think about it. How often do our circumstances in life end up exactly where we want them? Most of the time, we're stepping into circumstances that are unfamiliar or not what we wanted, and so wisdom is figuring out how to discern that situation. It's figuring out how to navigate through the unknowns in life. 
that's why wisdom matters. We need it for all the times when the circumstances aren't what we want them, where things aren't adding up to what we were hoping they would be. So that's why we need wisdom. But the other reason we need wisdom is because of this idea that the book of Proverbs talks about, and it's that there's two basic approaches to life. There's the wise way, and then there's the foolish way. You could kind of summarize Proverbs as that. It's talking about these two approaches to life. And the thing is, as humans, we have a tendency to do foolish things. That's why God gives us the book of Proverbs. But if we're honest with ourselves, we also have a tendency to deflect. And so when we read about the fool in Proverbs, it's really easy for us to think of who first. Not ourselves, right? Maybe to think of other people. And so we open Proverbs and we read about the foolish things that people do and we say, yeah, that right there, that describes my boss perfectly. Or man, that, they nailed it. That's my brother. That's what he does. Or worst of all, it's you read it and then you say, wow, I really hope my wife or my husband reads this today and, and picks up on that one. And so it's easy to look at it and think of how it applies to everyone else, but not in our own lives. It's kind of like driving. When I'm driving, I'm an absolute expert on what everyone else is doing wrong. But I'm not thinking about my own flaws when it comes to driving. And so the danger when we read the book of Proverbs, is to only see how it speaks into other people's lives and not how it speaks into our own. And so here's what I want to do, is I want to read kind of a summary. This isn't everything, but a lot of what the book of Proverbs says about the fool, about foolish decisions. And I want you to look for yourself in here. And the point isn't to make you feel really bad about yourself, but the point is to help us see our need for wisdom. And so here's what Proverbs says about foolish behavior. It says the fool hates correction. Fools are quick to fight. They give full vent to their anger. The fool's complacent. They trust in themselves. Fools don't listen to advice. They're lazy. They make careless decisions. Fools speak without thinking. The fool doesn't listen to reason and doesn't want to change, doesn't learn from past mistakes. The fool is argumentative, spreads slander, brags, lies, mocks sin, enjoys sin, doesn't consider the consequences for their actions. And the fool blames God and others for their problems. Fools are full of pride. So that's a little snapshot of what Proverbs says. Now that we all feel terrible about ourselves, we can go home now, right? Welcome to church. Um, no, but really... Again, the point isn't to feel guilty. The point is to see how much we need wisdom. We should be desperate for wisdom because that's a scary list. I see myself in that list more than I would like to. And so while it's true that we can figure out a lot of things in life through experience and observation, and we can figure stuff out, God's gifted us to do that, there are different points in our lives where we come to certain situations and circumstances where we just don't have it in us to be able to make the right choice, to, to choose wisely. And so we need God's wisdom for those times. We need God to lead us in those times. And God actually, he says this in, in Proverbs 14, says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And so he's saying we do things that seem right to us even, but they're actually wrong. They're leading us down the wrong path. Think about that. So we're blinded by our own choices. When I was uh, about 10 or so, 
my brothers and I, we decided we wanted to do something nice for my mom. And they had recently uh, restocked the playground by our house with wood chips. And so late at night in the summer one time, we took a few trash cans and we filled them with wood chips. And we brought them home for my mom because we thought now she's got new wood chips for the landscaping, right? So we're like, we're pretty good at this whole being kids thing, right? Like, we're nice to our mom. So the next morning, my mom's like, so where'd you get the wood chips? You, you stole them from the playground? We're like, oh, yeah, stealing. Not supposed to do that, are we? Like, okay. But so, oh, yeah, I forgot the best part. There was a hole in the trash can, and so there's a trail of wood chips to our house. <laughs> so it's kind of obvious who took them. Um, but so that's kind of a lighthearted example, but we just weren't thinking about the fact that we were stealing from someone else. And the reality is, for us, in very serious ways, we sometimes think we're making the right decision or it looks good to us, but we might be going down the exact wrong path. We might be making a horrible decision, and that leads to hurt in other people's lives. It leads to hurt in our lives. It can throw us way off track from following God. We've all made decisions, right, where it seemed right in the moment, but then later on, we had nothing but regret about those decisions. And so the bottom line is we need wisdom. We need wisdom, and God has it. As the author of life, the creator of the universe, he has it. And so wisdom in life, it requires surrender to the author of life. He's the only one that truly has it, and he's the source of it. And that's, what great, that's what's uh, great about Proverbs is it's all about godly wisdom merging into our lives. It's not just theory, but it's it's God speaking practical wisdom into our lives. But the thing is, we could read the entire book of Proverbs over and over and read about all this wisdom, and really, it won't matter unless we fully, truly embrace this statement in Proverbs 1-7 and what it's really saying. And so what's important for us is that we understand this phrase, the fear of the Lord. What does it mean that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? And so, honestly, that's a phrase that can be kind of confusing sometimes, right? In English, we usually think of fear as a negative thing. And before I was a follower of Christ, that was the kind of phrase that would rub me the wrong way. Because I only thought of fear as a, a bad thing, a negative thing. And so, I want to talk a little bit more about this concept of fearing God. But first, I just want to start with two quick kind of ca uh, caveats here. First, if you grew up with a background, maybe in a church or outside of a church, but if you grew up where your ideas of God was basically that he's judgmental, that you have to fear his wrath, and you never heard anything or knew anything about the side of God, that he's merciful, that he's faithful, that he's loving, then this idea of fearing God is going to sound somewhat distorted to you. And so it's good for us to recognize that as we think about it. And then also, if you grew up in a home where you had a dad who was scary, who was mean, who was abusive maybe, if you grew up that way, then the idea of God as a father that you're supposed to fear definitely isn't going to sound right to you. But that's not the idea that the Bible has in mind when it talks about this idea of fearing the Lord, of fearing God. And so let's talk about this a little more. What does the fear of the Lord mean? So in one sense, I don't want to downplay it. There's a very real sense of fear that we see in scripture. When people are in the presence of God or even in the presence of an angel of God, we see 
this feeling of absolute unworthiness. They bow down as they just see his amazingness, his awesomeness, his holiness. Because, and so there's a very real sense of fear. And so I don't think we should be quick to oversimplify that feeling. But at the same time, to fear God, it's not this idea of just complete terror. We know from the whole picture of the Bible that God doesn't want us to just dread him. He wants a relationship with us. But so then on the other hand, there's words that people use like respect. And respect is a a great way to think about fearing God. But in some ways, it doesn't quite go far enough. It could be easy for us to misunderstand that too. And so I just want to give a few other phrases that I think might be helpful to help us frame up this idea of fearing God. So to fear God is to have absolute reverence towards him absolute reverence. It's to have an attitude of total awe, total amazement at who he is. To fear God, it's to recognize his position as the master of the universe, the creator of the universe. To fear God, it should lead us to a kind of loving submission to God. And so it leads us towards attitudes of surrender, attitude of fully trusting in him, being committed to him and not holding back. It's an attitude of of worshiping him as the only one true God. And ultimately, it's an attitude of humility as we see God's place in the universe and then as we see our place in the universe. And so you could think about fearing God this way. It's kind of like the way we think about the sun. The sun is powerful. It's good. We need it for life on earth. It, It sustains life. But at the same time, the sun it's so powerful that there's a sense of fear that comes with it, right? Like it's something you wouldn't want to get too close to. And so it's not that the sun is a bad thing, but it's when you think about its sheer power, there's a very real sense of fear there. And so that's a little bit of a picture of how we can maybe think about this idea of fearing God. And so it's worth asking ourselves, do I really have a full picture of who God is? Do I think of reverence and awe and amazement? Do I think of him in the most ultimate ways? Do I view him as the author of life, the way, the one who designed everything? The Bible says God, not only is he creator, but he's the sustainer of all things. He's the source of all things. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's completely holy. He's in total control. Yet, at the same time, we have access to him. And that's why wisdom starts with him. You know, think about it this way. If you're, you know, if my computer breaks down and I call tech support and they put Bill Gates on the line, I'm going to feel pretty good about my computer being fixed, right? Unless it's a Mac, of course, but (laughs) we'll ignore that. Uh, But really, take that idea. He's an expert in computers. Take that idea, multiply it by infinity. We have access to the God of the universe, the God who created everything and knows exactly how everything works. Everything, physical things, non-physical things, relationships, he knows how everything works. And so to fear God is to wake up every day and say, God, you're God and I'm not. You know more about me than I do. You know more about my relationships. You know more about how to raise my kids, you know more about my job, you know more about my wife or husband, you know more about my finances, you know about everything 
more than I do. And so I'm submitting to you. It's to say, God, even when I don't even really understand, I don't have the full perspective. I don't understand, but I know that you do. And so I trust you. I'm surrendering to you. I'm lovingly submitting to you because you're the one who designed it. And you know everything, including me. You know me inside out. And so to fear God, it means that we can't think of our faith as just a a one-time exchange where God lets us into heaven because of a prayer. But our faith, it has to be something where it's, it's a daily surrender to God. It's submitting to him as the ultimate authority in our lives. And so fearing God, it's to recognize exactly who God is, his place in the universe, and then our place surrendered to him. And so Proverbs, it tells us to do this because when we do that, it leads us to say, why wouldn't I trust him? Why wouldn't I trust him with everything? Why wouldn't I look to him first? He's the author of life. So if I want wisdom, then why wouldn't I surrender to him as the author of life? Because we don't always have it in us to make the right decisions. We don't always know what the wise thing to do is. But he's the one who designed the universe. And he has the ultimate perspective at any given moment. So why wouldn't I look to him? And so that all, you know, maybe sounds good in theory, but where it always gets difficult is really applying it in our lives, right? And, you know, the reason God gives us Proverbs 1-7 and the reason it's a principle that's talked about throughout Scripture, I think it's because we have a default mode in each of us where we tend to live for ourselves, right? That's why we need the constant reminder because we're all, we're all kind of stuck in this w- way of living where we tend to live for ourselves. And when Adam and Eve, when they first sinned, what they were doing was they wanted to be in the position of God. And that's been humanity's problem ever since. We want to put ourselves in God's position. And we want the control or we want the credit or whatever you want to fill the blank in there with. And so I want to show you something that I think might be helpful. I actually showed this to our middle school students uh, earlier this year. I think it's uh, just kind of a helpful picture of how we can think about life. And so it's easy to view our lives this way, where we have all these different things in our lives. Obviously, you could add more. But we think about God as a part of our life. And that can sound good, right? I, I go to church or I pray. I read the Bible sometimes, maybe. Um, I believe in God. So God's a part of my life. And so it sounds good, but in reality, it's not actually a great picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's not a great picture of what it looks like to fear God. And so the concept of of fearing God, of having reverence for him, it looks more like this. And so God's not a part of my life, but God, he is my life. Everything else in my life is surrendered to him. It's submitted to him, and it revolves around him. And so everything I do, every decision about any area of my life, it falls under God's authority. That's what it looks like to have God at the top, to fear God, to have total reverence for God. And when I shared this uh, diagram with our tribe students, I shared a a story from just a personal story too to go with it. Uh, When I was in elementary school, I, you know, they did these like campaigns to talk about how you should say no to drugs. And the phrase they always told us was just say no. And, you know, just remember that, just say no. And so here's the thing is I hated cigarettes. My parents smoked, 
I knew it could cause cancer. Uh, it cost a lot of money. And so for the most part, I just grew up hating cigarettes and thinking that it was wrong to smoke. That was basically my view on it. And so fast forward to seventh grade, just over here at Western Bowl, I'm hanging out with friends who probably weren't the greatest friends to hang out with. But uh, we go outside to take a break from bowling, and I get offered my first cigarette. So it's like, this is the chance. Let's see if all those years of brainwashing just say no, see if it works. And so guess what I did? I said no. I followed through. The brainwashing worked. So I said no. It was good. But then it turns out that people might offer you a cigarette more than once. And so in the coming weeks and months after that, I don't remember the timeline exactly, but I was offered cigarettes several more times. And eventually, it didn't take very long, I switched my answer from no to yes. And I tried it. And then I started smoking regularly. And I know what you're thinking. Wait, you're the youth pastor and you used to steal stuff and smoke as a kid? Like, <laughs> how did you get this job? I didn't put it on my resume. But anyway. <laughs> but so here's the point, really. Here's the point with this. For years, I knew what the right answer was. I knew it was wrong to smoke. I knew that it was bad. But once I was put in that situation, it didn't take long at all for me to change my mind. And here's the reason. Because even though I knew all those things, I knew how wrong it was, at the end of the day, looking back, I really didn't care about any of that. I was curious, and so I decided to try it. And it didn't matter what my principles were or what my beliefs were. My curiosity overcame those things. And so I wanted to try it. And the reason my curiosity took over was because I was living for one person. I was living for myself. When you live for yourself, it's easy to get things confused. It's easy to mix up your priorities. In 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, that Jesus, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so it's saying we all, we have this default mode where we tend to live for ourselves. We tend to put ourselves first. But when Jesus died, he offered us forgiveness from our sins, and he offered us a relationship with God, and he offers us a new identity, he offers us new purpose. And what that means is that he frees us from the mistake of living for ourselves. Jesus frees us from the mistake of living for ourselves and enables us to live for God. And so the, the problem with this kind of thinking is that it looks good because God's a part of my life, but really God's just one factor in the equation. And so it's easy to get tunnel vision. And so then we lose wisdom because we've lost perspective. We lose wisdom because we've lost perspective and God's not in his rightful place. And so instead of filtering our decisions through God as ultimate, God at the top, we start to, to lose focus. It's like when I take my contacts out, everything's blurry, right? And so it's easy to, instead of fearing God, we fear our success at work. We fear what other people think about us. We fear our finances. And so instead of serving God, we serve comfort, we serve status, we serve wealth. And so our decisions, they all of a sudden become really unclear. They're inconsistent. They start to become selfish. And we've lost wisdom because we've lost perspective and we don't have God in his proper place. 
But when we put God first, when we have absolute reverence and awe of who God is, when we recognize him as the author of everything, when we surrender to him, then everything becomes a little more clear. Not necessarily easy, but clear. And he's the one who we go to for wisdom in all the areas of our life. Wisdom, it requires surrender to the author of life, putting him in his proper place at the top. That's how we have wisdom for life. And Jesus is the one who made it possible to do that, to no longer live for ourselves, but to truly live for God. And so the key to Proverbs 1-7, the key to fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and instruction. The key is Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we can really surrender to God, that we can choose to live for him. Jesus enables us to live for, for God rather than ourselves. It's only through Jesus that we can keep God in his rightful spot in our lives. It's only through him that we can really, truly surrender to God consistently to keep him in his rightful place. And so the beginning of wisdom is a decision for us. Wisdom's not about just collecting the right principles and the right facts and then figuring out how to apply them. But wisdom starts with the decision. It starts with the relationship that Jesus makes possible for us. It's only through Jesus that we can know the God of the universe, that we can know and love and trust and serve the one who created us and who created everything else. And so Proverbs 1-7, it, it drives us to ask these kinds of questions. What's my picture of God? Where do I put God in my life? It drives us to ask, am I putting myself first? Am I living for myself or am I living for God the way he created me? And it drives us to ask, is there any area in my life where I'm holding back, where I'm actually not surrendering that to God? And the way that you answer those kinds of questions, that will determine the decisions you make. That will determine if you lead your life with true godly wisdom. Because the fear of the Lord, absolute reverence for who he is, being in total awe of him, it's our source for knowledge, for wisdom, for instruction, for understanding. And as long as we think of God as just a part of our lives, rather than thinking of God as the author of life, we're never going to really have true wisdom for the way we live. So let's pray together. So God... Would you help us to, to surrender to you? Lord, would you help us to recognize our need for your wisdom in our lives? Would you help us to, to recognize who you truly are, to put you in your rightful place in our lives, in this universe, Lord? We need wisdom, and it's so tempting to look for that everywhere else, but Lord, we know we just need to surrender to you. And so thank you, God, that you give us wisdom. Thank you that you're loving, that you lead us, that you want to help us live life well. And so, Lord, would we come to you? Would we simply come to you and surrender to you and worship you and trust you? So, yeah, we love you, Lord. Amen.